Howdy, hey, hello, how the fuck are we? Uh, it's your boy. Um, welcome back to yet another episode of In Defense of Liberation, the podcast working towards and educating about a true people's liberation movement. And hopefully one day we're going to see, you know, a true proletarian revolution. Uh, but until now, I'm your host, Josh. Uh, thanks for stopping by. Um, for those of you who are coming by for the first time, uh, hello. Um, just a brief synopsis of what we're doing today. I'm driving on the way to work, about to record a little podcast, just kind of shooting the shit, kind of venting what, what's on my mind. Um, if that's not what you're looking for, you know, you can go check out another podcast or check out another one of my episodes. But that's what you're in for, so be ready for that. Uh, if you're coming back, I appreciate it, and I hope that this episode gets you to come back again. So what I wanted to talk about today, um, I'm listening to Mark's Madness, and it's kind of got me inspired, as it often does, to talk about some things. Um, And one of the things that they're kind of hitting on right now is, if you don't listen to Mark's Madness pod, fucking get on that shit, because there are two really cool dudes, shout out David, shout out Nathan, um, two really cool dudes who are doing their best to, to educate people, to educate themselves, and to kind of push forward the, the struggle on the left a little bit, really bringing these things into reality. And that's kind of what I wanted to talk about, because in the episode I'm listening to, let me double check so I can make sure that I'm quoting myself right here, not that it really matters, but uh, Wretched of the Earth chapter, the thing's not scrolling, it's not telling me, it's, it's like pretty deep into Wretched of the Earth, I'm like a solid, at least 15 episodes in, 10 to 15, so whatever, but what they're talking about is essentially, Nathan was interacting with someone who, you know, he asked, as we often do, which we'll get there, I'm just giving you the context, he asked this person, you know, what is, what is your political ideology? You know, kind of where do you fall politically, right? And I know a lot of us hate that question for many different reasons. But the answer that Nathan got was a, a Leninist Bolshevik or Leninism. Leninist Bolshevism, I believe, was the person's ideology. And basically the point that Nathan is trying to make in discussing this is... If we call ourselves, you know, Marxists, or even just generally, if we call ourselves communists, we have to recognize what it is that we are opposing and what it is that is in place now that has gotten to this point of suffering and of struggling that we, calling ourselves communists, have to stand opposed to and have to fight against. One of those things is what we might know as, as like, LARPing, right? But more importantly, just, like, a failed ideological and material analysis. Um, A a complete lack of understanding of the world we live in. Not only just, like, generally, like, this is what's going on in the world, but also the material conditions that exist in America, right? Right? Or wherever you live. This person happened to live in America, as do I. And that's why I'm talking about it. Because I think it's an important, you know, conversation piece. So the reason why I bring this up is because, as we know, if we're leftists, you know, there is a plethora of ideologies out there. All kinds of isms and, you know, ists and all kinds of different tendencies, right? fine and well, cool, whatever, no hate, no judgment, that's not what we're here to do, right? But the point that Nathan and David are trying to make in this conversation is that if we want to call ourselves communists or leftists, we have to recognize that in America, one of the key ways that they have gotten to the point, the ruling class has gotten to the point where so much of our society so many of our people and of the masses are just completely unaware socially, completely unaware of their economy and how it operates, 
completely unaware and uninterested in politics and government, and ultimately just completely disconnected from the world that they live in, right? Most of us, for, you know, probably the majority of folks, get up, if we're so lucky to have a job still, we go to work, right? Usually it's a job we don't want to be at, so we got to go to a job we don't want to be at and deal with that throughout the day. We got to hope that by the end of the day, we got the energy when we get home to do everything that we need to do in our own personal lives. Because, you know, if you're working a job, you have to go somewhere else physically. Quite often, you're not able to handle the day-to-day things that you need to do as just a human fucking person because you're at work, right? So then you got all that time that's delegated to a, a, a job or a career or whatever that quite often we don't enjoy and that doesn't allow us to live and and do the things that we need to do in our own personal lives then we go home and hope to have the energy to do those things right then we got to feed ourselves then we got to hope to have some time to relax because guess what we got to go to bed and do it again tomorrow so in that case you know that already being the base of most people's lives and now we're in the middle of a fucking pandemic right Um, a lot of people are disinterested or, you know, have been made disinterested in politics and discussions about, you know, social and economic problems because it's what they've been bombarded with consistently for a year now is just bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news. Nobody is faulting anyone for not wanting to talk about this shit, for not wanting to like really dive into this stuff and analyze it and understand it. It's fucking depressing. And I'm sorry I'm swearing so much. Um, If you have a problem with that, uh, this probably isn't the podcast to listen to, Um, but I'll try my best to not do it as much. Um, But if you like, you know, if, if you're, you know, someone who says like, oh, I don't really pay attention to politics or... You know, I I don't really, you know, have anything to say on conversations like, you know, these. I get it. You know, I understand. I was there at one point where I was just like, you know, this stuff is awful and I really don't want to ruin my own mental by like focusing on it. That much makes sense, especially when, you know, a lot of the times we're seeing these conversations. It's on social media, you know, in, in a sphere that is already toxic. So it's understandable why anyone might say, you know, I I don't want to be involved in this stuff. I don't want to have these discussions. I don't want to talk about this stuff. I get it. And nobody, at least, you know, over here on In Defense of Liberation is faulting anyone for that or, you know, passing judgment. But what we have to understand is there's, you know, as the world exists today, right, we always are given two options in just about everything. We can either act or not act. So when we have these discussions about the world we live in, the reality that exists, we can either choose to have these conversations or choose not to, right? Those are our two options, two very easy options. But as it stands right now, that does not change the reality of the situation, right? If we refuse to talk about a problem in our own life, you know, say we had an argument with a family member, And now every time we're around that family member, it's very awkward, there's tension, you know. You're refusing to acknowledge that. You're refusing to deal with that. And it's not going to just go away. It's going to fester. It's going to become other problems, right? That much is true in society, and even more so, because as it stands right now, as we know, the government who dictates America, who runs our society is in no way built up of the people nor of the intention that the, you know, the true necessity of government is providing for the people. Uh, Because of that, we have the society that we live in today that, as we all know, puts profits over people. Um, These are kind of undeniable facts, but denying them doesn't change them, and there surely are people who will deny them. Um... That, first and foremost, is not our job to educate them. Um, That's what I'm here to do. That's what many people are doing. Don't make it your job on social media, right? Secondly, 
these people are misinformed, miseducated, and put in a place where they don't want to talk about it. Not because, you know, very often they're just some asshole who doesn't care about other people, but because they themselves are in those suffering positions and quite often don't want to think about it. Because, I mean, who would, you know? But I think that what we need to recognize is if we're going to bring these problems to the attention of people, if we're going to have these serious discussions and talk about these issues, we have to do it with some kind of realistic basis and some kind of, you know, scientific foundation. And something that we, especially in the West, you know, quote unquote, the West, I live in America, so... Social media in America is toxic, especially if you're, you know, a member of any kind of niche uh, social media uh, faction. The left knows all about these problems, right? And something that we need to really start hammering down on is this idiocy that is taking place in the West, in America, on, you know, the left of just grabbing some theorist, some obscure theorist from you know, 200, 100 years ago that for all intents and purposes might have fantastic ideas, you know, great theories and things that we should learn. But then they go and say that everything that that person said is what they're going to base their entire political ideology on. It's the foundation they are going to build themselves up on. It's the tendency they're going to, you know, lean towards. And it's the ideology they're going to claim as their own. The problem with that comes with material conditions, right? So for the example of this person that Nathan and David were talking about, you have someone who calls themselves a Leninist Bolshevist, um, or Bolshevik, right? Who lives in America in 2020. Because this was, you know, a discussion happening in 2020. That, for all intents and purposes, is useless, It's utopian at best, and that ideology will not inform your analysis nor your praxis. Those are two words which I'll discuss in a second here, but it won't help considering the material conditions that exist today are not the USSR in 1920, right? That ideology made sense for the USSR in the times when Bolshevism and Leninism dominated the Soviet Union. For good reason, right? Because those were the ideologies that were able to inform the people and educate the people into making concrete steps and actions in order to even create the USSR. Because we have to remember the history of the USSR wholeheartedly a people's revolution. This was the peasants who took over this country and made it into the Soviet Union, right? But if that's the case, then that ideology is good for peasants in Russia in the early 1900s, not Americans in 2020. And here's why. If what we want to do is change the world, right? Let's just be as utopian as we want here for a second. If our intention is to change the world, to fix all the issues we're facing, to correct the problems that are existing in the world, then we kind of have to understand those problems for what they are, right? We have to understand, okay, America is a white supremacist settler colonial project. If we don't recognize that as being the foundation for the very country, quote-unquote, that we live in, that is called the United States today, if we don't see that as the starting point for what exists today in 2021, we cannot by any means understand how to combat white supremacy, how to combat settler colonialism today. You have to trace it back to its origin. You have to understand how these things came to be. You have to understand the causes the effects, the progression, the the foundation of these problems. Because just like anything else, any other problem in your life, again, let's go back to the, you have an argument with your family member and now you're not talking to each other. Um, thankfully, I go to therapy. Uh, everyone should, that can. Uh, it's amazing. And uh, yeah, side note, just want to throw that in there. 
But thankfully, I go to therapy, right? And because of that, I've learned a lot of conflict resolution things. And one thing that I can tell you is, if you're ever having an argument, right, there is no resolution to be had. If you're arguing, there is no resolution to be had. Because if you're going to get into a point where you have two opposing opinions or or ideas, right... If you want to get to a point where you come to a synthesis or a, a agreement, a, dis, a agreement to disagree of some sorts of compromise, you have to be able to pro, uh, uh, present your ideas, present your side. You can't do that if you're screaming at each other, right? So you have to be able to have a conversation. And because of that, the other person might be able to understand your point of view because you were able to properly express your uh, ideas, your explanation for those ideas and where those ideas came from for yourself. That helps people to understand where you're coming from. So say you get into an argument about someone with like maybe how they're speaking to you, right? You know, just a random thing. Say somebody is being rude to you and you don't like it. When you call them out, if they think that they're not being rude, it doesn't matter what you say. More often than not, that could lead to an argument. They might say, I'm not being rude. What are you talking about? Or whatever, right? The point is that you have two opposing views on a subject. Someone's being rude or someone isn't being rude. You have two very different perspectives that you can't deny either perspective, right? The person saying, oh, I'm not, my, I'm not being rude should probably tamp down their perspective to say, like, my actions are affecting another person. And so, therefore, I should be cognizant of that and be wary when someone says how my actions are affecting them are negative. I should want to correct that and be better, Right. But that doesn't mean that we have to just say, I don't care that you don't think you're not being rude. You are. Because guess what? If that person is going to stop being rude, they have to understand why it is you think they're being rude in order to correct that behavior. They have to know what they're doing specifically that makes you think they're being rude. My point is this, right? Essentially... If we, want to under, if we want to fix a problem, we have to understand a problem. And if we want to understand a problem, we have to truly understand a problem. We can't just observe a problem and say, that's the problem, right? We have to uh, analyze these things. We have to scientifically break down these problems. Where do they originate from? How do they surface in the real world? What material conditions gets things like racism, sexism, or poverty to surface themselves in different ways in different parts of society, in different forms, right? We have to understand all of those things before we can ever say, okay, here is a solution. Translate that to political awareness, to social problems, right? How can someone in America in 2020 call themselves a Leninist Bolshevist? It makes zero fucking sense. And it's entirely LARPing. It's a useless ideology to have in America in 2020 because it will do nothing to help you fix the problems evident in America in 2020. Remember, again, this was a conversation that was happening in 2020. That's why I'm not saying 2021. If we want to fix our car, we take it to someone who knows how to fix a car, who can open up the hood, trace the problem to its origin and correct it, right? If we have physical problems, we take ourselves to a doctor who can look internally and see where our problems and our, our, you know, diagnoses are coming from. Wow, that was an awful way to say that word. But essentially... The point I'm trying to make is that if we're going to call ourselves, you know, communists or whatever and expect that our intention is to, you know, change the world, to fix the problems we're we're facing, we have to have some kind of scientific foundation or understanding of those problems to even, you know, try to be able to fix them in the first place. That just makes sense. But yet, the problem kind of becomes that most people have no intention of doing this, right? They have no intention of actually trying to understand these problems, actually trying to address these problems in any kind of meaningful way. A lot of times what we see, especially online, is like 
people just trying to play like good person, right? Like, especially after the George Floyd uh, and the Black Lives Matter movement that was happening uh, this time last year, or beginning to happen, I should say, um, you quite often saw white folks going onto these, you know, social media outlets and basically playing, you know, not everyone was playing white savior, but a lot of them were playing, look at me, I have a good opinion, you know. I was a person who was doing a lot of that. I was definitely spending a good portion of my time. Sorry, I'm like opening up my store and like walking in and getting ready for work as we're recording this because I have no time to record as it stands. Um, But basically, you have people who just play these roles, who try to pretend that they're like a good person for whatever reason. I mean, we can understand why somebody might want to do that. They want you know, to feel good about themselves. They want other people to feel good about them. They want views on social media, right? Whatever the the objective is, there's people who do these things for opportunistic and wrong reasons. That's not some absurd concept. But also there are people who fall into these camps of opportunism, not of some kind of evil or corrupt mentality that they have, But because simply in this country, we are made to be uneducated. We are made to be confused. I mean, look at the history lessons we receive in our American classrooms about the American Revolution, about slavery, about all these things that are 100% still affecting people today. The, the, you know, the denial that slavery and white supremacy have any kind of effect on the world we live in today is just an obscene ignorance of true reality. It's an obscene ignorance of, you know, the world that is 100% historically documented as having, you know, existed. To deny, you know, when Trump and all his folks were saying that the 1619 Project was like a, a misinformation campaign or whatever, they were playing the cards so close to their chest, they didn't even, well, they probably did recognize it. That's how awful the situation is, is that these people can just sit in front of us and do this shit, and we got nothing that we can do about it, right? Except that's not true. The people are 100% capable of making change. We just have been convinced that we aren't, right? We've been told that the best way to get change that we need is to go to the ballot box every four years, even though in between those four years, each and every one of us recognizes fully that each politician in those places of power is only there for their own benefit to help themselves. And so it doesn't matter who we elect, Ultimately, they're all there for the same purpose, which is to benefit themselves. We all recognize that pretty well each and every three years. But come that fourth year when we got to go line up like cattle in front of the fucking you know, ballot and pretend that we have any kind of power in this country, we all say, oh, well, I voted for so-and-so because of what they said. Oh, I voted for so-and-so because they said they were going to do this. Oh, really? Because the last three years we've been talking about the fact that they all say these things and then don't do them because they're all corrupt. And then that fourth year comes around and everybody's so excited to go vote for Joe fucking Biden because they think that somehow or another something is going to change. The only thing that is changing as it stands right now is we're making concessions, right? I'm not totally against it. Uh, this uh, COVID relief bill that passed is going to give some people some money that probably is going to help them. Uh, I couldn't sit here and say that's a bad thing by any means, right? We need people to survive. Uh, We want people to be able to feed themselves, to be able to house themselves, and to be able to live comfortably and humanely during this pandemic, right? But at the same time, What these concessions often do, and a great example would be someone like Barack Obama, you look at how this changes the the mentality of the people who only recently, in the hundreds of thousands, were outside on the streets 
demanding an end to police brutality, demanding an end to, um, you know, economic oppression by the 1%. And yet, we're just going to keep on keeping on. We're just going to elect Joe Biden, and that's that. And unfortunately, because these things happen, because liberalism is the dominating economic um, force in the world as it stands, uh, thanks to capitalism and other things, you have a lot of people who are miseducated about these things, who really truly do not have the political and social awareness that people in such a modern, uh, advanced world should. And so, you know, again, there's, there's two things we can do here. We can act or we can not act. We can sit here and point at all these people who get these things wrong and say, fuck you. You're a stupid asshole. How do you not know that this country is racist? How do you not know that this country is white supremacist? How do you not see these things, right? We can do that. You know, we can yell at people on social media. I don't know how much change is going to come of it, but I've certainly participated in it myself. Or we can act, right? We can see the problems that exist. We can analyze where they come from. We can recognize and, you know, kind of deduce how they could be properly combated. And then we could take those solutions and hopefully, you know, during the the progression of coming up with these solutions, the people are already involved, you know, say we're talking about how to eliminate white supremacism in this country. Well, God damn it, I sure hope that black folks are in charge of that conversation, right? And then we need to bring these conversations to folks who weren't there to have that conversation with us or with whomever is having that conversation, present them with the ideas and see if that is something that could truly help these people, right? It's the same idea that you don't just walk into a community and say, okay, I see what's wrong here and just start doing, right? You go into a community and you meet with people. You build connections with folks. You build solidarity with folks. You try to get an understanding for their lives as they live them and try to get an understanding then how, if they need help, you can provide that help. Because ultimately, as a communist, as a, you know, whatever you want to call yourself, and we're, don't worry, we're still getting there, our intention should be to help people, period. You know, if your goal is anything other than helping people, fill in the blank, whatever that means, helping people, if your goal is anything other than that, you are in the wrong place, right? Um, but the point that I wanted to make in this, this podcast is that there are a lot of people who have it in their mind that we can just pick this, this random, you know, ideology or this, this random country that we like, who had a charismatic leader with some good ideas, who had, you know, some kind of revolutionary moment, and say, this is what we need to do, or these are the ideas that we need to espouse. What we need to do is take a serious look at where America as a country is right now, where it has come from, what the problems facing people in this country are, and how those problems also, because again, we're a settler colonial state, but more than that, we are also the imperialist core. We are the main domination of the world, right? The oppression and exploitation of the global south, the oppression and exploitation of the the working people of the world, almost entirely comes from you know, higher up places designated by the United States uh, uh, State Department, the U.S. State Department, I should say, which is still the United States State Department, whatever, I'm rambling here. Or, quite often, it also comes from, you know, kind of the same place that the American Project came from, because we have to remember that the American Project was just settler colonialism. It was a bunch of fucking rich white people who came to this country and fucking massacred people and tried to take it for their own. That same mentality that created this country 
is what fuels this country and what dominates the world economically, militarily, right? We have to understand all of these things. We have to have a true in-depth understanding, not just, okay, yeah, black people aren't treated right in this country. Or, okay, yeah, we probably shouldn't have a military that has over 800 bases all over the world, right? No, it has to be end U.S. imperialism, period. No U.S. imperialism, no imperialism, period. It has to be end white supremacy, not pass laws so that black people can vote, not pass laws so that black folks don't, you know, get killed by police. It's end anything and everything that is a part of their oppression. Get rid of it. Completely scrap it. I don't fucking care, you know, what what your take on that is. I don't, I'm not here to ask for anybody's opinion. What I'm saying is that this is precisely the way that we fix these problems, is we recognize that they are a problem, and then we address the material conditions that not only got us to this point, but have kept us in this point, and then we go, okay, how the fuck do we change that? That's the only way that we can do anything. You know, if we're if we're trying to sit here and say that some random obscure theorist from, you know, Germany or some random obscure theorist from wherever or some, you know, ideology that has some catchy name so that, you know, you can put in your Instagram bio next to your hammer and sickle emoji. These are not things that are going to help people, period. Our intention should be to figure out how to help people, period. So if what we're doing is not at its core intended to reckon with the very reality we live in today, the very material conditions that exist in this country and in this world, period, because of this country and because of what it it represents, you know, if we aren't doing that, Nothing will change, because quite simply, if it were going to, it probably would have by now, right? If if this liberal society based off of uh, equality in law, uh, liberty, electoralism, if these things were proper uh, avenues for change, considering the amount of awful inequality that exists not only today, but always you'd think that would have changed, right? So then my question becomes, why hasn't it? If you can't understand where I'm going with this, let me, you know, really write it out for you. Since the dawn of time, and I know there's going to be people who critique me on this, so let me be extremely explicit on what I'm saying here. Ever since the dawn of society, There has always been a grouping within civilizations of people who are the main beneficiaries of that society, whether that's pharaohs, whether that's nobility, whether that's just, you know, popular folks in that, you know, town or whatever. They exist at a higher plane, right? And since our our establishment of, you know, organized government, uh, really, you know, after absolutism and feudalism, when we started putting in place representative governments, we have had it in our minds that by simply putting people in places of power who say that they want to help, who say that their intentions are to fix the problems we're facing, Until they take those steps to change those things, there is no help to be had, right? So here's the thing. We've been convinced here in America that the best way to, you know, affect change is to vote or to go out and have a peaceful protest for a day. This simply isn't going to change the material reality that exists for millions of people today. In America, you know, we're all going to supposedly get this $1,400 stimulus bill that is not $2,000, which we were told we were going to get, and also is not, for the, is not enough for the majority of people alive today 
to actually receive any kind of true assistance from this $1,400. Because if you're in a place of financial turmoil, like 70% of Americans are, which is if I don't have this paycheck, if I don't have this money, I'm going to lose my home. I'm not going to be able to feed myself tonight. I'm not going to be able to do A, B, C, or D, which is a human necessity, a survival need, right? That's a problem. And it very obviously is true that then the system that stems from something like this cannot be a successful one, cannot be a truly uh, um, equal one, right? Because if it were equal, society would reflect that. You would think, but it doesn't. So there's very good reason to then say this isn't an equal society. My coworker is here and I got to let her in. So I'm going to record the rest of this episode later probably, but it's been a good episode so far. So stop that. There. Here's me recording the rest of that uh, bit. So basically the point I was trying to make is that, you know, if you're going to have a society that's built on law and a court system and a government that's put in place uh, to uphold this law and to, you know, grant power to these court systems and things like that, it's going to reflect, you know, the society that stems from this uh, this law, the society that stems from the, this, you know government and things like that is going to be reflective of that that law and of that that rule. And so the fact of the matter is America is an extremely unequal and extremely, you know, impoverished and uh it, you know, people don't think of America as being impoverished, but people miss a single paycheck and they might lose their home. I would call that poverty, right? But essentially, if we're going to fix something like that, we kind of have to recognize where that comes from. We have to recognize the motivation behind these things. We have to recognize how they're upholded in law. And we have to recognize the power structure that exists, the relationship that exists in society, of the rule of the few over the many, right? That rule is evident not only in our government system, not only in our public sphere, you know, in our, our economy, but it's also evident in our workplace, right? You have one boss or a few, you know, a boss and a few managers or a board of directors or a CEO and then all of the workers. All of those workers in the majority are given no power, no say in their workplace, no ability to dictate for themselves how 60% of their lives, which is on average how much time you spend at a full-time job if you were to work that for your whole life. If I'm going to spend 60% of my life somewhere, I would like to have some kind of say in how that place is structured, how I'm treated at this place, you know. That just seems fair to me. Um, but I know that commonly we say, oh, well, life isn't fair, da 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 as some kind of cop-out to say that we shouldn't have to try to fix any of the problems that we have. But at the same time, if that's the case, then how do we expect that problems got fixed in the past, you know? There was a time where people had to work 16-hour work weeks or 16-hour work days. Now we work eight. There was a time when people had absolutely no government assistance. You know, you look at the, the, um, the Great Depression, and what happened to folks at that time if they didn't have money um, versus what happens now with, you know, Medicare, um, welfare, things like that. They're, they're a step in the right direction, right? But ultimately, until the rule of the few over the many is replaced by an equal rule of all peoples in society, the rule of the many... It doesn't matter what kind of concessions we grant. It doesn't matter what steps we take in a general direction. Ultimately, the people still aren't free. Ultimately, the people have no power. And ultimately, nothing is going to change until the people are either given the power or take the power for themselves.
And that's kind of the whole point of this podcast, right? And that's why we have to recognize that if we're going to sit here and call ourselves whatever, right? I don't care what tendency you fall under. I don't I don't care what you describe your politics as, you know, as long as you're not like a fucking fascist pig or a conservative or a liberal, get fucked all three of you. Um I don't really care what you subscribe to. The the fact of the matter is simple is if your ideology does not give you the answers that you need in order to provide for not only yourself, right? But if we are to have the, this idea of socialism, this idea of communism, we have to understand that each and every person in that picture is has to play their part, at least to some extent, right? And so not only do we have to do this for ourselves, but we have to do this for our, our, our those around us, you know? And I would hope that more than doing these things in order to put ourselves in a better place, we are doing these things for other people. Because it's other people who are going to be the ones who are there fighting alongside with us. It's going to be other people who are going to fight with us in order to get us to the place that we need to be. In order to, you know, face these issues we're facing. It's going to need to be a combined effort of solidarity. If that's the case, if your ideology does not give you the concrete answers and analysis to then look at the position we are all in together here in America and say, okay, these are the steps because of the material conditions that exist in America and the the ethnic groups and, you know, uh, the history of colonialization and imperialism. This is how we have to go forward in America. Revolution isn't a one-size-fit-all thing, right? Politics aren't a one-size-fit-all. Nothing is a one-size-fit-all thing. And so we have to understand with some kind of context that I know it's, you know, it's really fun to spend a lot of time learning the history of, say, the Russian Revolution or the German Revolutions or, the you know, the, the National Liberation Movements in, um, in Africa, in, the, in South America, in Central America, and in Asia... It's great and we need to study and learn from all of these movements because each and every movement is an answer and a lesson waiting to be learned. Unfortunately, you can't just take that information, spin it around, and just place it wherever you are, right? Those things worked in those places because they were, you know, designated for those places. The people spent the time analyzing and understanding the problems facing that specific area and then use those answers to propel themselves towards revolution, towards change. And ultimately, it either worked or didn't work based most often on whether or not they did a good job of analyzing and understanding those things. Because of that... You only really had what we now know uh, as the world historical revolutions where the people were truly given the power, where it was truly a proletarian revolution, where it was the masses educated, organized, and understanding that the only way to solve their problems was by taking the power for themselves and then using that power collectively to fix the problems together, if they didn't get to that point, right, that's not what we consider or whoever is keeping track of these things, um, a, a world historical revolution. And basically the reason why I bring that up is because the three world historical revolutions, okay, the Paris Commune of 1871... The Russian Revolution of 1917, October, October Revolution, and then the Chinese Revolution, Mao's Mao's Cultural Revolution. Actually, I don't know. So I might have misspoke right there. So I'm going to get ahead of that and say, I don't know if in this context, I definitely should know this and I don't know why I'm blanking on this. 
It makes more sense that the 1949 China... No, not the 1949, because that was a fucking... My history's fucked up when it comes to China, I'm going to admit. I'm going to need to take some time to learn that. So, there's three world historical revolutions. 1871, Paris Commune. October 1917, Russia Revolution. And one of the Chinese revolutions. Uh, Basically, the revolution that, that Mao... Uh, theorized for and and educated and and spent his time you know pushing the masses um, these are are world historical because the lessons learned from these revolutions are world uh, uh, and and globally universally a- applicable right in that we understand that simply you know having a revolution of some sort and just taking and wielding the power for ourselves that already existed that is not enough right so what the paris commune taught us in 1871 is that it's not enough to simply lay hold of the ready-made state machinery and wield it for our own purposes but we have to smash what we know as the bourgeois state and there's concrete ways that that can be done First and foremost, every single person is a part of the government. Not in that they're all actively working, but in that every single person is trained and given the ability to administer and govern, participate in the government. And basically the way they talk about it in in Marx's and Lenin's on the Paris Commune is they basically say like, it's like filing and, and, and doing any kind of other menial, you know, job. It, it, the government could be, in this way, such an easy thing to operate if everyone truly had the ability to help operate and participate in that government. But instead, it's these random and obscure elected, quote-unquote, representatives who more often than not have no form of representation when it comes to the people. You know, the, the politicians, the people in government, are, are, are officials in power. They're not a part of the people. They're not connected to the people in this country. And they certainly don't have the ear of the people. You know, um, most folks don't even fucking vote in this country. So that should tell you how much, you know, politics really connects with the people here in this country. But that's the first thing you got to do is you got to connect with the masses, right? You got to build that connection. You got to build those relationships. And ultimately, you got to get the masses involved in politics. You have to get them politically and socially educated and aware to a point that these things are important and matter to them because they understand that these things do actually affect them. So that's the first step you have to take. But then ultimately, you have to have a revolution of those masses, not of, you know, people in society who are already in positions of power, but want to be the ruling class. You know, you know, you have in France, you have the revolution of 1790 to 1791. You have uh, the Napoleonic coup d'etat. Right. These are examples of people in power wanting to take the whole of power for themselves, just taking the ready-made state machinery and wielding it for their own purposes, right? It's essentially like we see here in America, where it's just a cycling of presidents and congresspeople and senators and representatives, but ultimately it's all the same, right? It's, it's the rule of the few over the many. So what the Paris Commune did is said, fuck that, we're going to get the rule of the many. And they did. They overthrew Paris. They were able to establish for, I think, four months a true proletarian state. And so we have to understand that the the difference between the bourgeois state, you know, the state of the bourgeoisie, the ruling class, the rule of the few over the many, cannot in any way be equated with the proletarian state. We don't have a proletarian state in this country. So to talk about the need for no state to have a revolution and then eliminate any governing body whatsoever is honestly you know it's it's kind of it's ahistorical and it's ignorant right because as it stands right now there's 
hundreds of millions of people in this country that wholeheartedly depend on the government for their subsistence, for their rent, for their food, for their utilities, for their jobs. How are we going to try to convince the masses that we're trying to help them if we have a revolution and then just get rid of everything that has kept them alive to this point? What we have to do instead is take those things and give them into the hands of the people who are actually intending to not only help those folks who need them, but are they themselves a part of the struggling masses who are using these assistance programs? Because what, what we have to understand is if we're trying to help someone, right, the same way as if you're trying to help someone, say... I don't know. I can't think of a good example. But you're trying to help someone at all. Usually the person who is struggling or needs the help or is suffering themselves is the one most keenly aware of the the nuances, the, the, the what's, the when's, the where's, the why's, the how's of that struggle, right? And so it wouldn't make sense for me to go into, uh, you know, an inner city community in downtown Chicago and say, hey, you know what? I know exactly what you folks need because I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. I'm going into a whole nother community and telling them what they need. That doesn't make sense, right? But that's precisely what our government is now. It's wholeheartedly a rule of people who have no idea what it's like to live today as a working person, right? Deciding for us how we, the working people, are going to have to live for at least another four years, right? So the Paris Commune established that. Uh, The Russian Revolution was able to establish a vanguard party which educated the peasants and the masses and helped to establish the Soviets and, you know, hold the power for 40 to 60 to 80 years, depending on what you think about the Russian Revolution. We're not going to get into that because I don't fucking care. Um, And then the same goes for the Chinese Revolution, but they realized that you can't just establish a state of the proletariat, right? Because nothing ultimately changes. Now you just have a different group of people in charge. It, it, it's different in that it's not a few select people out of the society who have no understanding of how that society actually works for the majority of people ruling over the majority of people. But what still does not change is that anyone is being ruled over at all, right? And so what we have to understand is you, astep- you destroy the, 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 the state of the bourgeoisie You put in its place the state of the proletariat and then you use that state to eliminate class antagonisms, to eliminate class, to eliminate the the separation between ruling class and working class by getting everyone involved in the active governing of a state, by making all government officials' wages equal to the average working man's minimum wage. By not putting any incentives in place that would make people use government as a career move, that would use government uh, oppressively, or to domineer over someone, or to prop themselves up to be an opportunist. You want to you wanna instill a government that in no way can allow for that type of greed and that type of corruption, because in its very nature, the people who would be governing then would be taking a job that really wouldn't be paying them anymore, that wouldn't give them any more opportunities, right? They would just have to be a government official and they're going to make a wage just like anybody else, right? Then you're expecting that those people in those jobs actually want those jobs because the incentives that are there are to help people, right? To, to get this shit organized so that we don't have to keep having these problems because I'm, I'm not one who believes there's some utopia that we're heading towards, right? But I am aware that there's much better lives to be lived, especially for those who suffer across the world. So if we want to do that, we have to do that logically and with the intention to do it successfully. Because ultimately, as we know, because history is a thing, there's been thousands of revolutions since the dawning of time. We're still in a place where we need to have revolutions, which means that, hey, we don't got it 
down pat yet, right? But that also means that there's thousands of revolutions to learn from, to learn from their failures, to learn from their lessons, right? And if we are choosing willingly to ignore those lessons, then we are nothing but opportunists, apologists, and ultimately we are betraying our fellow workers by leading them astray, right? We have to base our understanding of these things, our, uh, what we advocate for, in the real world. If you don't have a true enough grasp of what it is like to suffer and struggle in this country, you have two options. You can act or you cannot act, right? But what acting looks like in this is not, like I said, going into some community and deciding for them what they need. Acting in this case is going to someone who is suffering and saying, how can I help you? How can I be of help? Because then you are saying, I'm not here to tell you what you need. I'm here to give you what you need. If you need help, you tell me what you need and I will help you get that thing, right? That's, that has to be our intention. Anything else is opportunism or apologist. At the very, very, you know, minimum. But if you're still listening to this, I appreciate and love you so much. I'm so very stoned, so I'm so glad that I was able to finish this episode. Um, I hope that everybody is doing well. Um, You know, me, myself, and I have been struggling, as I'd assume a lot of people have been during these times. And so I hope everyone is able to get through these things, right? Um... Just know I'm always there. I'm a person, right? I do a podcast, but I'm, like, a just some dude. So, like, if you want to be my friend or, like, you need help with whatever or, like, you want to know about something or you just want to tell me I'm a stupid idiot who doesn't know what the fuck I'm talking about, uh, reach out to me on any of my social medias. You can find me on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and Facebook at Indefensive Liberation. You can email me at uh i use i usually plug my annoying question boy at gmail.com but i just remembered that i i made an indefensive liberation one so no caps no spaces indefensive liberation at gmail.com you can tell me whatever the fuck you want you can please don't send me um please don't send me weird things like you know y'all get it whatever um Yeah, that's it. Uh, Thanks for listening. I appreciate you folks. Uh, I hope that uh, this was a good episode. I haven't done just a sit-down episode in a while, so this has been nice. Uh, If you want this, but in written form, you can check out my website where my blog is located, which is for liberation, no caps, no spaces, dot Wix site, that's W-I-X-S-I-T-E, dot com forward slash website um yeah you can find my stuff there and like i said find me on social media wherever you're listening to this just know that there's probably like at least 10 other places you can listen to this so if you don't like where you're listening to this on you can find me just about anywhere you can stream podcasts uh yeah so also Go check out uh, Leftist Unification Party on Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, and Tumblr. Uh, They're doing good stuff. I'm a part of that org. Um, Come check us out. Come talk to us. Come ask us your questions. Come, you know, join. Because, like, we're trying to build something here. We recognize that, like, there's a lot of anger and frustration online. But we're sick and tired of seeing this, you know, BS infighting. Sick and tired of seeing this BS, you know, online shit. Like, we want action. And as it stands, we're just folks online who all connected. um, And we're building a platform. But, like, the ultimate goal is to, like, get in-person activism and action working. Trying to help people. Trying to build. Trying to organize and really look at the root of the problems that we're facing in this society. And fucking solve them, right? Because ultimately it's very clear that the government doesn't give a fuck about us. So then we got to help ourselves. We're going to need to do that together, guys. Because it's going to take a big effort, right? So I need you folks 
Uh, you folks need each other. We all need each other. Uh, so we need to start really recognizing that ultimately, especially in these places like America, where our government tells us, oh, you know, we're here for you. We're a part of the people. We're trying to work to, to build, you know, something for the people. Don't listen to what they say. Look at what they do, right? Because ultimately, what people have done to help people is true work. But what the government has done to help people is say that they're going to help people. So they can get fucked and we can help each other, right? So shouts out to everybody. Love you all. Um, and I will catch you later. Uh, yeah, have a great rest of your day, evening, whatever. Bye.